All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Scoreboard. And we have with us today, Brooke Rohde and Will Camardella, ready to absolutely tear it up because there is tons of different stuff and exciting things going on and taking place in the USC world. First of all, we're going to start with a bit of a non-traditional topic here. Sierra Wright is a USC recruit coming in fresh out of high school, and he is going to be on the football team next year. Now, he played LeBron James' other son, um, Darius, Darius James, in Space Jam this coming summer, and the trailer just dropped this weekend. So, guys, were you able to check out the Space Jam trailer, or do you have any thoughts on him being in this and all of that? I did watch the trailer. I mean, yeah, it seems like a fun movie, nice little remake. I think I saw Space Jam for the first time maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, a lot of it, a lot of it's the same. Obviously, they updated some of the graphics. You have LeBron as a cartoon character now, and you have the animated Bugs Bunny, for example. I think it'll be a fun uh, movie, and that's got to be a pretty cool opportunity for Sierra Wright to be a part of it. I think it's going to be cool too. I mean, obviously, like. The original Space Jam with Michael Jordan is just, I feel like you can't top that just because that was the era that everybody was in with the Looney Tune characters and everything. But I think it'll give LeBron James and especially Sierra Wright a chance to kind of get their get their foot in the door when it comes to acting and stuff. And especially Sierra Wright also being a four, I think he was a four-star cornerback coming in for USC. That's pretty awesome. Like yeah. already having like a full acting career because a lot of these USC football players are just looking to come play division one, maybe even going pro. So the fact that he even had that he already has like a separate career started is awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Absolutely. definitely a cool opportunity for him. And, you know, let's be honest. I mean, the school and location he's at definitely facilitates a lot of those opportunities. A big reason LeBron James signed with the Lakers long-term in the first place was because this is about more than basketball. This is about getting involved in Hollywood and with other projects. And the fact that Wright found himself in, one of the largest entertainment markets in the world and right next to LeBron, I think uh, facilitates a lot of opportunities to get involved in places like Hollywood to produce these movies. So um, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, career decision for him. Absolutely. Uh, when I was younger, Space Jam was the movie that got me into sports. So as you were saying, Brooke, it's going to be nearly impossible to top it, but I was impressed with the trailer. I think that after everything that we've been through over the last year, it's going to be a really fun movie. Uh, who knows, you know, it might be a lot of people's safe return to the theater for the first time. It's going to be great. And so something that I would love to hear about from you guys as far as Sierra Wright is what are your thoughts on the balance of being a student athlete and also maintaining an acting career uh, being both you know pursuing that athletic career to the point where you're a four-star cornerback recruit and I believe he's maintaining a 3.7 3.8 GPA if you watch his high school tapes so yeah what are your thoughts on on that and how you know, either impressive, difficult, the things that go along with it, how to cope. I mean, I know uh, you guys will have some interesting thoughts for sure. Well, I think the 3.7 GPA going along with all those other responsibilities tells you everything you need to know about the kind of kid Sierra Wright is. Um, it's difficult. I mean, I mean, especially in high school, you have a billion different things going on, not just playing football in high school, but you're also so involved in the recruiting process from these big-time universities trying to bring you in. 
I mean, that takes a true dedication, commitment of time, trying to make the best decisions for you. I mean, that's even more than the typical high school student athlete's going to have to go through. And to be able to balance the movie obligation along with that, I mean, he clearly doesn't have that much free time on his hands. So uh, it, it really makes you marvel about the sort of commitment he's able to demonstrate. I can totally see, like, obviously the time management, but I mean, just coming personally as a student athlete here myself and seeing the insides of what it takes to be a USC football player here, I feel like being a USC football player is different than being a football player at any other Pac-12 school or Power 5 conference. Like, those guys are busy the whole day without even school. Like, they're in the training room, they're in the weight room, they're at practice. Like, even as a student athlete myself, who obviously doesn't play football, I run track, but... I feel like I can't even find like the hours in the day to like take a nap sometimes or even just like sit down and relax for 30 minutes. So coming out of high school for Sierra Wright, I feel like it was a bit easier for him to balance all this because he wasn't obligated to be at practice at certain times. And like just being a student athlete just comes like with a lot more responsibility and like you're almost bigger than yourself because you're there for your team. So especially coming in next year, because it was probably easier for Sierra Wright to do all this since I'm sure his high school was online with COVID and everything, but being back on campus, back in class, like at practice, especially in the fall when season's all going, like it's, I'm going to see it's going to be very difficult for him to continue his acting career while he's a full-time student and athlete. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if he can balance that, but just coming from biased opinion, I just don't see it being very possible. Wow. Thank you for sharing your perspective on all that, Brooke, with you being a student athlete. Pretty amazing to hear. Thank you for your perspective, as always, Will. And uh, speaking of perspective, some people's perspectives are changing on the draft stock of Evan Mobley after Jalen Suggs hit one of the greatest NCAA March Madness buzzer beaters that we have ever seen. I mean, that game would have been a classic if UCLA had won with 3.3 seconds left when they originally hit their shot. But then Jalen Suggs comes out for Gonzaga and hits a buzzer beater. I mean, come on. Guy balled out even in the loss where they got stomped on 22 points. He's a really good player, of course. Do you got some people are saying that this takes Mobley from a projected number two to projected number three? I'd love to hear both of your opinions on what you think about Mobley's draft stock after the final results of the March Madness tournament. Well, I, I hate to give the uh, cop out answer here, but it is in many cases going to depend on which team has the number one, number two, number three pick, because it is really a pick your flavor situation between Mobley and Suggs. I do believe that generally speaking in the NBA today, I think there's much more of a market for a player of Evan Mobley's stature, the seven-foot athletic, shot-blocking, rim-protecting center. I mean, we've seen a bunch of high draft picks uh, of centers recently. I think of guys like DeAndre Ayton, for example. Um, I think that's a very valuable thing to have on your team. And while Jalen Suggs certainly had the moment in the NCAA tournament, I thought Evan Mobley played really well in this tournament too and maybe turned around a lot of eyeballs there for people who maybe don't watch too much West Coast or USC basketball. I'm going to agree with you there, Will. I feel like obviously Jalen Suggs had the game of his life, like hitting that basically half-court shot. Like I saw that live and I was like, holy man, like holy cow. Like that guy was like insane. Like he balled out against – um. Even in the loss of Baylor, like, I remember watching at the end of the game, like, he was in tears. I could just see the passion on his face, just, like, being so disappointed. But I think that really goes to show that, like, he's really committed to the game. 
But going back to Evan Mobley, I think it's just really hard to compare their two different playing styles. Like, like Will said, I think it really depends on what teams are going to be looking for what specific positions. I think when it comes to Evan and Jalen, Jalen is um, the as a point guard. I feel like there's already so many like guys like him in the NBA, like Steph Curry and all those guys who are just shifty off the ball, quick shots. While Evan Mobley is just more of a rare player, having that long seven foot stature, being big under the being big under the basket. So. I think, like Will said, it just really depends on what teams are looking for. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're both obviously going to go top three, but I can still see Evan going above Jalen Suggs. I mean, if the right team, if the right team is picking first, I mean, Evan Mobley could, in theory, vault ahead of Cunningham. I mean, if yeah. if that's what they're looking for. But if you look at basically from the start of the Pac-12 tournament onward, that was the best Evan Mobley that we saw pretty much the entire season. Very consistent shooting the basketball down low. Um, He was very uh, quick to uh, facilitate, let his other teammates succeed when he felt he had to. Blocked uh, a a billion shots, it felt like, against really good teams like Kansas. Uh, He he was a force on both sides of the floor, and I I do think a lot of scouts took notice. I think also, even though Jalen Suggs had that big shot of the tournament. I feel like Evan Mobley had the dunk of the tournament. Like, do you guys remember Ooh. seeing that that poster? And I feel like that's another that's another thing to remember too. Like, even though maybe Jalen Suggs kind of outshined Evan Mobley because yeah, he went to the national championship. He had the, the 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 shot to win the game. I feel like Evan Mobley was consistent throughout the tournament. Was a really big player for our Trojans, especially Isaiah too. Um, just like looking at the Mobley brothers together, Isaiah. I think if I had to pick one player on the Trojan team that probably had their best their best string of games in the tournament. It has to be Isaiah. Yeah, Absolutely. he was excellent. And I look at the Gonzaga game, and that's the team. I mean, you watched go, the, the Gonzaga versus USC game in the Elite Eight. You watched the way Gonzaga played defense that was so suffocating. There was absolutely no room to move for USC. And still, like on every inbound play, Evan Mobley was just able to out-muscle everybody, go up and get mm-hmm. the basketball, you know? I, I thought, you know, obviously you don't get the result you wanted, but Evan Mobley still stood out as a real good player against, I mean, Gonzaga, obviously they didn't get the result they wanted to in the end, but they're still one of the best college basketball teams we've ever seen. Absolutely. Evan Mobley definitely stood out in that loss to Gonzaga. It was not his fault, that's for sure. He was a clear leader on the team, particularly with his facilitating. And, Brooke, you couldn't be more right. The the one shining moment of the tournament was that absolute poster dunk by Evan Mobley. That was incredible. That was individual. He dribbled the ball as a seven-foot unicorn. And, Will, you know, as you said, with the whole number one pick, I think that any team that doesn't draft Mobley will be kicking themselves. I think he's the most special, unique, and talented player uh, in this draft for sure. So you guys think he has a shot to go number one? I mean, listen, if you don't have a seven-footer on your team, uh, I think that's a very... um... I think that's a very difficult offer to pass up. Obviously, Kate Cunningham is fantastic, but it, it is it is really neck to neck for me right now. Yeah, I think this is probably going to be the closest draft that we've seen in a while. Because I feel like in the past it's been, oh, Zion Williamson's going to go number one. And there's always that one player that like just totally stands out. But I mean, yeah, like Will said, I think passing up a seven footer, especially how coachable I feel like Evan Mobley is going to be too. Mm-hmm. Like he. I think people forget that, like, he's such, like, a mature player on the court, but people forget he's still, like, 19. Like, he still has so much to learn when it comes to the the art of the game and just being able to maybe be mentored by a few veteran players. I think 
if he's able to get onto a team that maybe has a big guy as well, but just being able to get put under somebody's wing is just going to be super important. So, I mean, it would be amazing to see Evan go number one, and that would also be awesome for USC in terms of recruiting and stuff. Absolutely. I think regardless, this season will be uh, great for recruiting for USC. You know, we we really became more than just a football school. Basketball I think school. this absolutely. I think this has shifted the culture. I think this has shifted the culture. I think the USC Trojans basketball programs are to be taken seriously. And yeah, I mean, hey, Houston is projected to go number two. You never know if they could go number one. They have Hakeem Olajuwon able to train if Evan Mobley goes to their program. They just lost James Harden and need a future superstar to build around. So it's going to be really interesting to see with the draft lottery. I think that's when we'll have a much better idea. But again, I think any team that passes on Evan Mobley just because they have a need is going to be kicking themselves. And let's see how the USC football team is going to do. Hopefully, they will not be kicking themselves as they have had a lot of turnover in the receiver department in particular. Spring ball is well underway. Drake London was discussing the state of the receiving core. And I'm very curious to hear both of your opinions on USC football overall going into spring ball and, and the specific issue of their receiving core with Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughns going to the NFL draft. I think for me, I mean, overall, just, just to start off, I think it's awesome that they're able to do spring ball, especially since last year, COVID kind of took that away. I mean, I was down in the training room, I think two days ago, and all the guys were like in there getting ready, like hyped. Like I can just tell like they're just excited to like, start training, start practicing, and getting ready for the season. But however, I feel like there's a big problem when it comes to the receiving line, like you guys said. Um, obviously, Amon Ra and Tyler Vaughns are kind of obviously out the window, and that's going to leave some really big shoes for Drake London to fill. Obviously, that guy had probably the best season that he did last year, coming out as a freshman, just, like, balling out, like, those huge passes that he got. I feel like I remember against, like, maybe Colorado or one of those teams where – or it was early in the season where he got the – the winning touchdown against ASU, that was, like, I feel like his defining moment as, like, one of the, the best receivers on our team. But, yeah, I mean, I think Clay Helen and our uh, Graham Harrell have a lot of shoes to fill when it comes to our receiving line, especially because that's, like, pretty much our entire air raid offense since we're not really a, a running game team. So we've got, we got a lot to work on. Yeah. yeah, the interesting thing for me is, as you mentioned, there is actually spring ball this year. I think when you basically – cobble together a season you know five minutes before it's supposed to start and you go out and train it's very easy for a quarterback like Keaton Slovis to sort of fall back on what he knows and what he knew was Amon Reds Ross St. Brown is a weapon in the red zone I mean he was the go-to guy late in games in those situations ate up the vast majority of the offensive touchdowns uh, for USC but now that you have more time to sort of develop a rapport with some of the younger guys like London and Brew McCoy even um Obviously, last year was his freshman year. I think that's going to allow Slovis to get more comfortable with what he has and be more able to spread the ball around. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be really interesting for USC. I think a lot of this actually will lie with Slovis 
and him forming that really great connection, particularly with Drake London. Uh, Slovis was injured last year. He was still coming off that injury. As you guys alluded to with COVID, like you had Todd Orlando coming in, you had Graham Harrell coming in, and there was just no time to prepare. It was a season unlike any other, and spring ball definitely brings back that sense of normalcy for sure. And so Slovis is sounding more confident than ever in his press conferences. And Clay Helton has said the most important priorities for this team are to keep Slovis upright, keep him protected, and work on the running game. So let's hope USC can open up that passing game. But I think that Slovis will be, have to prove this year that he's one of those quarterbacks who can make his receiving core better. And to me personally, I believe he can how much pressure do you guys think lies with Slovis due to this receiving core? And do you think that he can find a lot of success with it? I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. This is all about Keaton Slovis. He will, in all likelihood, be looking to score a high NFL draft pick next year. And if you look at if you look at last year, I mean that he had his challenges. It was a weird season. Let's just burn the tape and move on. You I mean Drake <laughs> London is going to be a very, I think, a very reliable uh, receiver for him, and even in the shortened season, you did take him, see him take a next step. I mean, if you take a look at his 2019 stats versus 2020 stats, the receiving num, the receiving numbers are virtually identical, despite the fact that it was less than half a season. The big thing that uh, wasn't there for London was the touchdowns because Slovis was so reliant on St. Brown. But again, I think that's going to change. London's still a, a big body who can make plays. Uh, I, I think if Slovis has the time to work with his receiving core and can develop the confidence he admitted he was lacking, uh, it's going to be a very different sort of season for USC. Yeah, I totally agree as well. I think Drake London is just going to have to see his role role expand as a player and leader on the field. I feel like last year, like Will said, I'm looking at his stats right now, he had 33 passes and over 500 yards, but only three touchdowns, which are insane numbers, but it's curious that the the touchdown stat is so low. But I guess it's just because Slovis just was always looking for, like you said, St. Brown and and Vaughn. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the style of play Drake London is going to have to kind of switch. And I'm hoping over the spring, uh, Slovis and London are going to be able to find that connection when it comes to those red zone plays in the fourth quarter when it comes down to the wire. And, like, you just need to, like, have that connection and, like, be confident in your players to be able to make that pass. But I think our offensive line coach – or Receiver coach Kerry Colbert actually has a lot of pressure on him when it comes to really upping that uh, receiving game just because he's losing his two key players. Like we two years ago, we left we lost Michael Pittman Jr. too, which were big shoes to fill. And I feel like Vaughn's and St. Brown did a good job of that. But now this year, I feel like it's just even bigger shoes to fill. And I know we have a freshman. I think his name's Michael Jackson the third or something like that. Like he's coming mm-hmm. in as a freshman, like looking like a good four star four star guy and. I've heard Colbert like has said he's been doing great in practice and is he's got a lot of potential and just a lot of uh excitement that he brings to the room. So if he can just get better in the off season, get stronger, I mean, he can probably be a weapon for us next year too. But going back to the Slovis question, yeah, Slovis is going to have a lot of pressure on himself this year. I think just his number one priority is staying healthy, being able to get in the pocket and get the ball out fast, and just incorporating his running backs too. And I, I think that works very much in conjunction with uh, the pressure on Graham Harrell to 
What I'd like to see from him is go back to basics a bit with Slovis. Obviously, he had the confidence issues. Maybe you don't need to, like, if you look at the Pac-12 championship game against Oregon, how that game started with the interception on the first drive and, and all that. Maybe yeah. don't go for the home run ball on the first three plays of the game, trying to hit a, a big receiver deep. Maybe just a couple passes underneath. Build the confidence of your quarterback, especially early in a game in a season, and, and, and just get this offense into more of a rhythm instead of, you know, one drive, it's a big play. The other drive, it's a three and out or a turnover. Uh, I, I think if you try and not completely throw out the offensive velocity of the team, but maybe simplify it a bit, um, I, I think that'll do wonders for this uh, for this group. Wow, absolutely. No, it's going to be a really exciting season of football. It's going to be very interesting to see what Slovis can do because a lot of pressure lies with him, and I think that he can live up to that pressure. Drake London is an absolute beast, and I think he's going to rise to the occasion. And most importantly, offensive line will need to keep Keaton Slovis upright and healthy. And if we do that, I think Trojan football can return in all of its glory. That is all the time that we have today. So thank you all for checking out the scoreboard.